Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Kroll. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. And maybe today we can break through the illusion of happiness or maybe the illusion of unhappiness. That elusive happiness may not be what you think. Our guest today suggests that in every moment you have an opportunity to drop your ideas, let go of control, and wake up from the confines of what you think makes you happy and even unhappy. The invitation is to allow yourself to be the awareness within which happiness arises. I'm going to say that again. The invitation is to allow yourself to be the awareness within which happiness arises. Sound confusing? It can be as simple. I love that chuckle because it can, but it can be as simple as experiencing the true nature of being here with what is, I invite you to take a few deep breaths, bring your awareness into this moment, open your mind, connect with your heart, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest. John Burney is the author of Ordinary Freedom and the Unbelievable Happiness of What Is. He's a contemporary spiritual teacher who offers a compassionate, heart-centered approach to awakening. John's teaching focuses on returning the attention to the already enlightened state that lies at the core of our human existence. He has four decades of practice and study and is an experienced healer as well. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you so much, Julie. It's a total pleasure to be here with you. Oh, thank you. You know, just reading your book, I just felt like I didn't even want to do a show. I just wanted to just sit with you in the silence mm-hmm. of being. This book is mm-hmm. really a nice treat. It's it's so well written and I'll 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 explain more to the listeners as we go on through the show, but what a what a beautiful treasure that I hold here in my hands. Thank you for okay. sharing this. Oh, thank you. That's really lovely. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. Hey John, I have a f- traditional first question. Sure. Before we get into the book, I love to set our conversation in a bigger perspective and, and a meme that's important to me. And so I want to ask if you can share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you? Mm. Wow. <laughs> what a great question. Um, I think it's really what comes up first is just the sense of it's when I'm not thinking about all things connected. Mm. It's really more when I'm fully engaged in life. And then relationships and activities and so forth have a certain flow. That's just what comes to mind. I appreciate that response because it is the essence of your book and I can't wait to dig into that and really help our listeners understand your way of teaching. I I love how you teach and how you're teaching awakening as this enlightened state that 
already exist within. Let's start at the beginning because you have a unique story. And I started reading your biography or your little bio that you sent. And um, you had a unique experience at age four, and so did I. And then you had a unique experience at age 11, and so did I. And then you had a unique experience at 16. And it was like, whoa, look at the parallels here. But I love your story. And I love this early childhood awakening in these series of events. I would love for you to share that with our listeners. Sure. Well, um, I remember literally at four years old looking up at the stars and thinking, what's what's going on here? And um, and and then by the time I was 11, I was really questioning everything. And I really um, even and I remember in Sunday school arguing about the existence of God with the Sunday school teacher because I was very oriented towards experience, not so much belief, but more like if I see it, I'll believe it. So it was more of an empirical kind of a scientific kind of perspective. And I felt at that age that, that when I saw God, I'd believe it. And then around the time I was, oh, I think I mentioned, I don't know if it was in the bio I sent you, but I think I came home and I told my mother I was, wasn't going to Sunday school anymore. I was too busy practicing the violin. And she said, okay, honey. And I just felt like when I, you know, that that was uh, my experience that I couldn't, believe something that it wasn't my experience. So I was open to the experience, actually. And then by the time I was 16, I was reading a lot of existentialism and was really interested in this, um, what they were teaching, which was that we have choice and with our choices come consequences and that we're responsible for the consequences. And then And that was, you know, a lot to sort of take in at 16. And then I remember them saying, and the universe is a chaotic accident. And being a good questioner, I really questioned that uh, conclusion. I thought, is it a chaotic accident or is there some order? Is there some, I don't know, I came up with this thought, is there some creative force operating? And do you want me to go into that whole? I love that. Yeah, that part. Please do the create. Is there a creative force behind everything? Yeah, that and question. It, and it didn't. It was more like I wasn't thinking in religious terms at all. It was more that I was really thinking more <clears throat> scientifically, like uh, like gravity, like a force of nature. Excuse me. <clears throat> and I, this became a really profound and kind of burning question within me. You know, this, what, you know, and, and then I had my first, at some point, this whole process, by the way, went on for about four months and I didn't, wasn't anything I was reading really. It wasn't anybody I was talking to. And, you know, this is back in 1969, I think. Um, I had my first insight, which was, well, of course there's some kind of creative force because there's all this stuff. There's trees and animals and people and, you know, all of it, planets. I thought, and then, then when I, and it seems like such a simple, obvious (laughs) realization, but for me then it was mind blowing really. And I just, for some reason had to know what that force was. That became my primary focus, you know, aside from being in school and being a concert violinist and getting straight A's and all that, it was this incredible focus on wanting to find out what that force was. And 
then somewhere along the way, I had my next insight, which was, of course, you can discover what this is because you're part of it. And then instantly I came up with a plan where, and I don't know how I knew to do this. I, I later saw a psychic named Ann Armstrong, wonderful person who really helped me when I was around 20, uh, who said I had had many lifetimes as a monk before, and I knew what to do this life to set myself up to have this experience. And I didn't believe that or not believe it, but that was interesting because I decided that when my parents went to bed one night, I was going to close my door in my bedroom and I was going to sit down in my big furry beanbag chair and I was going to stare at the wall and I wasn't going to move until I discovered it. And I didn't know anything about meditation I knew nothing about really any of that. I had no concepts about any of that. And I sat down in the chair and I stared, stared at the wall. And I remember my arm started to itch and I wouldn't scratch it. And I wanted to move and I didn't move. And my mind started wandering and I didn't let it wander. And unknown to me, I was doing very concentrated meditation practice. And I really felt then that I had to discover what this was. And somehow I knew this was going to allow that to happen. And that really the way I thought about it, Julie, was that if I had to die doing this, I was going to do it. <laughs> it was, I don't know why it was so compelling, but I sat there and all of this, after a while, something really remarkable started happening. There was like a kind of undulation or a kind of movement in the wall. It was almost like waves. And not only that, it was sort of emanating light. And not only that, I could feel it. And I, and I just immediately knew this was the direction to go in. It wasn't, it was just some profound sense of going with what was happening. And I let that happen. And the, the movements got bigger and the light got brighter and the feelings got stronger. And this just kept increasing until it got incredibly intense. So intense that it was feeling like um, you were, I was in a sports car with the gas pedal nailed to the floor and that it was, and it was going faster and faster and faster. It was going to go off a cliff. That's how it felt. And I became terrified, completely terrified. And I knew I had to go over the cliff. And then this voice came to me and said, just stay with your breathing. And I didn't know anything about breathing or any of that sort of thing. And I stayed with my breath. I mean, that was the only thing I could be aware of. And then it got more and more intense. And then it was almost like an explosion. And there was no more room. There was no more me. It felt as if I had merged with the sun. I mean, that's remember how I experienced it. And that every cell, every molecule in my body, every atom in my body had had an explosion. Unbelievable. And in fact, I seem to remember describing it back then as like a million times orgasm, just very profound. And I have no idea how long I was in that state or whatever you want to call it. But then awareness came back to the body and the room. And it was, and it, it was almost as if, as if the whole room was imploding into me like almost like being sucked into me and then exploded out of me in sync with my breathing. And it felt like I was being ripped apart and my whole body started shaking. And I looked over at the clock and I'd been sitting there for three hours 
And prior to this experience of sitting there, my life didn't have a sense of meaning. And I remembered looking back all the way back as far as I could and really not feeling like my experiences had any connection at all that had like they were just a bunch of disjointed experiences. And I, and, but after this, right then, my life had profound meaning. I, everything felt connected. And, and I felt this guidance, almost this trajectory into the future. And there was this sense of being connected in this light and this presence that has been there ever since. So that was, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I, I love that experience. And I, I would love for you to say more about this guidance and this light, this awareness staying with you after that, because many people have these extraordinary experiences, whether we call them out-of-body experiences or a near-death or some kind of a mystical awakening experience that's a different state of consciousness. And so often I have people say, well, that's easy for you to teach that because you've had that experience, but what about those that haven't had that experience? Which is a really fair question because a lot of people don't have that. So I'd love to hear how you really integrated that then from a pretty young age. You were around 20, your no, early 20s. I was 16. <clears throat> yeah, that was the, the first experience at 16. Not right. very many 16-year-olds have an experience like that. Not right. very many 16-year-olds are guided to sit there in meditation for three hours without instruction. And yeah, so, I'd, even have, I'd even have my friends sit with me and they would feel the energy and it scared the heck out because, they, you know, they'd, it was power. I didn't know it was happening. I didn't find out it was happening for about four years, actually. Wow. But, so, yeah, so how did you add, integrate that then, John? Leaving, you know, this powerful experience at 16 and then really integrating this state of being and this new awareness. Well, I thank you for that. You know, I think it was a lifelong journey, quite frankly. I mean, I didn't know any, I didn't know what had happened. I was immediate, interestingly enough, I was immediately drawn to Eastern religion, Eastern thought, yogic thought. I remember Pantanjali reading the yogic aphorisms of Pantanjali and reading about Raja Yoga and Kundalini and all of this. There was like hardly any books in the library back then. And um, I immediately understood it. I mean, I knew that I'd had this profound experience with the chakras and all these things. And I, I understood it. And I started meditating. And I just was drawn and just started doing meditation. But I was afraid. I mean, I would be going to, I'd be in my um, algebra class in high school. And I'd be opening into these profound states. And at the same time in school, but my friend, Mark, who um, unfortunately had a breakdown, he had a mental breakdown, ended up in a hospital. I thought, and he kind of flipped out, went crazy or whatever. And I thought, God, maybe I'm going crazy. And I got very frightened. And I actually shut it down uh, back then because I was terrified that maybe I didn't know what was happening. And so I actually shut it down for a few years, even though I was doing meditation. I was starting to do yoga. And then when I met Anne, when I was 20, she said, she totally tuned into it. She said, you had an enlightenment experience. And by then, I was starting to become a Zen, Zen student, Zen monk, and I was, you know, practicing meditation and so forth. And I was really, actually, your question is really interesting because I was really surprised that people could put themselves through these ordeals of these intensive meditation schedules and not have any experience. I thought at least I was inspired because I kind of knew where it was coming from. 
But I also knew that I had a fairly heavily conditioned body and mind and heart that needed a lot of work. And so it, I wouldn't say that it was integrated at all initially. I would say that it was a, I was available to it. But it, you know, I think that's been my work. And that's why my work is very much, um, very much uh, a development of the understanding of the sort of relative human work, what I call the transmutational work with the transcendent work of being one with the divine, so to speak. So that's been my life path of both of those journeys. I love those words. I'd love to get into those. I, but let's let's do this. Let's define, um, you, you referenced an enlightenment experience. The psychic said, oh, you've had an enlightenment experience. And a lot of people, we, we have different understandings of enlightenment, awakening, mm -hmm. right. awareness. I would love to hear how you define that because you do a good job of it in the book. Thank you. Well, you're right. There are so many words and there's so many descriptions. And in fact, um, what I like to say is that the, the essence of what we are, which you could call, you know, the divine or you could call it cosmic, it used to be called cosmic consciousness, um, the presence, even in Buddhism, I think emptiness, um, la absence of self, no self is really also a description of it. The Tao, I mean, these are all referencing this, our true nature, our essential nature. And um, I think what when people speak about awakening or enlightenment, those words are thrown around a lot, and I kind of don't like using them so much anymore because they can really be, they're so burdened with so many kind of ideas and concepts. But what I like to, what I like to say is that this essence that we are is really available to everyone to access, and it's universal. That's universal. But once one accesses it through a glimpse of it or a, a profound experience of it or uh, a taste of it, that it that as we begin to recognize it in our experience, it begins to grow in us, and how that unfolds in an individual, how that fully becomes realized, right, in an individual is completely unique, and so that's why it really ultimately isn't helpful to compare one's experience to someone else's experience or or your own way of finding it and integrating it with someone else's way of integrating it, because it may be very different, actually. And so I think, you know, basic practices and trainings and all these things can be incredibly helpful up to a point. And uh, I tend to attract a lot of people who are pretty mature on the path, actually, had a lot of experience, not everybody, some of them are brand new, in fact, quite a few. And, uh, but they're, you know, um, really ready to trust that inner guidance. So I don't even, I mean, I don't like to use the word enlightenment because that implies a destination or, a, or that you've arrived somewhere, where I rather think of it as that we are, that even a glimpse of awakening is a taste of the fullness of truth. And, and we are ongoingly awakening, that life is really an ongoing learning, discovery, and transformative process. So we're, we're not trying to get somewhere. Uh, I don't know if that's helpful in answering. Yeah, that's the part that I, I really appreciate 
that you write about is really that it's not this journey that goes from here to there. It's not an endpoint, that it's really an active state of opening. And it's like this state of awareness, right? That's an awakening, yeah. that's an allowing, that's an opening. Yeah. And it's not, we got to go from here to there and then we're awakened. I love right. how you talk about that. Thank you. Some people really, they, you know, they don't want to deal with it. I think it's very understandable. If people have really been suffering, really struggling, that even a glimpse of freedom, a glimpse of profound relief, really, if you want to call it that, it's really what I mean by the unbelievable happiness of what is, is really just another way of saying our true nature. It's just a, it's just a you know, fun way of saying it. Because it's it's not in the realm of belief. That's what I mean, unbelievable. It's literally in the realm of where your mind, it's kind of what we used to say is having your mind blown, you know, it's kind of mind blowing, right? Um, it's that sense of whenever you have an experience that's just extraordinary, you go out and have an amazing meal, or you, you know, just have this wonderful experience. Oh, it was unbelievable. It was that quality, you know, awesome. It's awesome. And I think that's a great description of our, true nature is that it's just, it's indescribable. It's awesome. And yet, you know, some people just want to live there. They want to live in this sort of high or bliss, but that, I don't, I think that's initially understandable, but eventually most of us come back to the so-called marketplace and are just living our lives, working relationships and all of it. And we want to find out how to really have an integrated life where we can have that fullness of aliveness and just just be an ordinary person in the world, living life. I think that's really the, that's sort of the cutting edge of spirituality in today's world. That's my perspective. So the thing that is important about your message that I'm hearing echoed a lot right now is really bringing us back into life and the real, like you just said, the marketplace, walking around, being engaged, being embodied, like bringing our full selves and into this moment and being this embodied presence. Mm. And so when we talk about going from here to there, there's all these expectations and baggage that we bring along. And so I really appreciate how you talk about this unbelievable happiness. It's really just our true nature. And it's not that you're escaping the body and life to go somewhere else into the bliss. We're really in, it's not this ascension, it's really a biscension, right? It's like mm -hmm. coming down into our body and mm -hmm. being fully connected with this mm -hmm. true essence yeah. at the same time. I Exactly. I just, I was just teaching a retreat uh, this weekend and um, one fellow came, it's in, here in the, in, in Marin County, north of San Francisco. And one fellow came from Denmark. One of my students came from Denmark for the retreat. And then he had a private session with me yesterday and he had a profound experience at the retreat, very powerful. And I could see when we worked together, when we were sitting together, that what he needed was to be able to be grounded. Otherwise he, he would just be completely spaced out. It couldn't handle all the energy. So I think it's very important for people to really, many people find that if they've only been focused on these profound experiences, that often the vehicle of their body and their mind and their heart can't integrate it. And it can cause all kinds of side effects, which I'm often working with. 
with people who haven't done certain kinds of training to really get their bodies um, what uh, prepared for that for those changes of increased energy and intensity through the nervous system. Mm, yeah, I always like to refer to that as the potential to blow fuses it's kind of like you know like you talked about with your friend in high school it's like am i like going crazy am i going to blow a fuse here feeling Mm -hmm. like you were imploding and and you know those are those are pretty scary experiences when you first have them at times so thank you for that you know i want to talk so much more about happiness as our true nature and we're going to take a quick break and when we come back i really would love for you to really define that and have us really start to look at our beliefs and how sometimes we're causing our own unhappiness by being attached to beliefs. You do a really good job of explaining that. So we're going to take a quick break when we return so much more with John Bernie and the unbelievable happiness of what is. We'll be right back. music 24 hours a day in the new empower radio app music to empower your meditation help you relax sleep or provide a calm background while you work the empower meditation channel is interruption free listen now with the empower radio app free in the app store or listen online at empower.fm soothe your soul calm your mind the empower meditation channel Wildfires burn millions of acres across the country each year. And each year, wildland firefighters battle to contain them, but they can't do it alone. For some communities, it's not a question of if wildfires strike, but when. And a single ember can travel more than one mile. As it twists and turns and floats through the air, that single ember can find its way to where you live and can ignite and destroy your home or your community. That single ember can be just as dangerous as the wildfire itself. You can't control where the ember will land, but you can control what happens when it does. You can take action now to prepare your home and your community for wildfire. Get fire adapted. Learn what you can do now to reduce wildfire damage later at fireadapted.org. Prepare, protect, prevail. A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Learn more at fireadapted.org. My dad came to live with us last month, and you know, it's going pretty well. I feel like I never have time for myself. With him being around more, it really lets us catch up on things. His memory isn't what it used to be. We get up and we have coffee. He usually wakes up at 4.30. Then we go for a walk. He needs lots of my attention. I do need to keep an eye on his medications, though. That's important. Sometimes I feel like a pharmacist. I'd say John and the kids are adjusting pretty well. They honestly have no idea what I'm going through. It can be a little challenging. Help. But so far, so good. I could really use just a little help. For those dealing with the daily struggles of caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community with experts and other caregivers for advice, tips, and support. Together, let's help each other better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. There's hundreds of fun and simple things you and your family can do to live a healthier lifestyle. Here's 20 of them. (sighs) 
Eat less, eat slower, eat smarter, eat your fruits and veggies. Stop eating before you're full. Up your fiber, lower your calories, get off the bus early, do some gardening, do jumping jacks, take the stairs, take one, not two, take on a new sport, take a long walk home, walk instead of drive, bend, stretch, reach for the stars, climb the monkey bars, skip the fudge bars. <sighs> Search We Can online to find more ways you and your family can get healthy together. A message from the Ad Council, HHS, and NIH's We Can program. Empower your life. Empower Radio. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and listen to it again. You can do that by checking out my website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as a list of upcoming guests. Also, stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. I'm here today with John Bernie. He is the author of The Unbelievable Happiness of What Is. You can find John at johnbernie.org, and that's J-O-N-B-E-R-N-I-E.org, johnbernie.org. John, right before the break, we were talking about this happiness, and you named the book The Unbelievable Happiness of What Is, and you talk a lot in this book about belief, and I want to go there, but I want to just tell the listeners first, this book is really a beautiful, easy, light, and yet extremely deep paradox there, read where literally it's 52 very short chapters that can be a lesson, can be a reflection, can be just a self-contained piece all in itself. It's very, very lovely here. So, John, let's talk about that belief and unbelievable because really how we define happiness in this culture, we've been really conditioned to believe happiness is about happenings and yeah. possessions and material of consumption and all right. of these other things. And you, right. you talk about something different. Yes. Um, I think what I'm, I'm really talking about is the unconditional happiness, not conditional happiness. So it's obviously conditional happiness is about, you know, all the things you mentioned. And that's usually how we think about happiness. And that's a very much part of human experience that is conditional happiness. But really the realm that I'm speaking about is the realm where it's unconditional, where that profound well-being is available no matter what your conditions are, whatever your circumstances are. So it's that deeper access to our essential nature, beginning to recognize it and sense it. And I think the book really in a way is not really a normal book in a sense. I think it's more really designed to evoke presence. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it has, there's a certain quality in the, you know, this, it wasn't written. The book wasn't actually written. Those are actual transcriptions and edited transcriptions of teaching that I gave in live environments of teaching where it was really in a way channeled with people in that environment. And so I think it has that kind of power if, it's, if one is in the right receptive space while reading it to bring that forward into one's experience. So yeah. that, that realm is really, the I think, the seeds for what I would call unconditional happiness. So it's really not about, you know, uh, it's not really in a cognitive realm. That's what I really mean beyond belief. It's not, it's not really in a thinking or a cognitive realm. It's really a deeper uh, openness 
that is available to anyone who's ready to discover that, really. Yeah, thank you for differentiating that because um, really you talk a lot about this essential nature, our true nature, and um, I, I want to concur that the chapters do feel very channeled, very meditative, and very um, expansive in each each chapter. And I literally want to like ingest and chew on them one at a time, like preparing Mm -hmm. for the show. I read the book and now um, it will be on my um, nightstand and I'll I'll just read one little chapter at a time. It's really, there's, there's power in these words and these ideas Mm -hmm. and this open expansiveness. You talk a lot about the deeper presence that we are. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a quote, the purpose of life is to be fully here, fully alive, regardless of whatever limits or challenges we may face. And and you reflect on that. That really weaves through a lot of the chapters and a lot of the pages is this deeper presencing is an important spiritual concept for all of us to really understand more. And I'm wondering if we can really go into that because we, in the first segment, you talked about transmutation and transformation, and we hear a lot about those words as well. And we have become addicted to our minds and (laughs) this cognitive space that we have Uh and not really allowing ourselves to go into this deeper presence of who we be. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is dropping into the body, being into the heart and being fully alive in the moment. I wonder if you could just speak more about this deeper presencing and then maybe we can look at what does that mean with the, the, transmutation and transformation well, yeah i think i think what's really key here julie and really the role i play fundamentally with most people that i work with and even in the book i think is that is for people to begin to have a reality check on what it really is because i think people can have access to it and not know they're having access to it not realize that's it and so that's one of the values i have in giving people feedback directly where they can sense it and i can say that's it that's it, because there's a when when someone else is tuning in simultaneously, it's very obvious, and that's really where you know in the Zen stories they say that's it. You know that's what they're referring to. It's that your 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 this is your, the awareness. Your awareness is now in that realm rather than the sort of separate cognitive realm, and um, so I think that's primary in terms of really then finding your way. Because I think once one can access that or have a sense of it, then that naturally will guide you. Uh, I don't know if that's clear, but um, I think the problem is that people want to just be there all the time or they want to do what they can to have it be more, more. And really, it's not complicated. I mean, I write about it in the book quite a bit. It's really about giving it attention when it's present. And eventually it becomes more and more foreground of your consciousness and your cognitive functioning, the sort of thinking mind that wants to control and understand and be secure, tends to recede more and more into the background. Now, when I had a profound shift, I think it was back in 1989 with my first main teacher who was, I would call realized, Jean Klein, that um, it was 
I was very much prior to that reading all the spiritual books and learning everything I could. And I would say that I was very heavy with concept, very heavy with belief. And yet I was still deepening, deepening, deepening in this presence. And after that shift, um, that literally fell away. And it, it really, I really moved into the realm of what I would call the, um, of not knowing, of just being in the awe of life. I mean, it's not that I didn't have access to functional knowing as needed, right? It wasn't that I lost that. It just wasn't dominating. It wasn't what was controlling anymore. I don't know if that helps. Yeah, you know, what you said earlier in the show when you were really being guided through this first awakening experience that you had was, you know, that voice said, stay with your breathing, which was a good hint. You also had, whether it was you or that voice or that creative force that said, of course, you can understand the creative force because you're a part of it. Exactly. And going back to that wisdom Um, staying with the breath and understanding this greater self, this essential nature of who we are, you become one with this creative force and you become the flow of it. The embodiment of it becomes this flow in everything you do. Mm -hmm. It's not like you stop and um, create some kind of sequential or linear experience of it or, or separate it all out and create boxes. You just become a part of the flow with this creative force. Is yeah, that so, how you would describe yeah, it? Yeah, I would say that, uh, that what people refer to the way I would use the word realization is that you really, you are it. That's what you really fundamentally are. And the personal self and the ego and all of that, the history and all that, that's really sort of the separate conditioned self. But what you truly are is that. So you, that's why some people would say, I am that. You know, or I am one with the divine, something like that. That it's it's really the primary perspective that you have. It it literally is always present. And I think that people often say, Well, when is that gonna happen? And I say, Well, it's kind of like, you know, scales will naturally tip when they're ready. So the more you give attention to presence, that's why a lot of the practices are on giving attention to it understandably that it, and in a way that isn't controlling or expecting that eventually, and I've seen this with many, many of my students, eventually it becomes foreground. It just naturally does it yeah. all by itself. Yeah. Like a flower that just grows and blooms in the garden. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Sure. Well, let's, let's do talk about transmutation and transformation and I'm going to put it into the bigger perspective here because some of our listeners um, maybe sitting there saying, well, this practice is all good and beautiful, but look what's happening in the world around us. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and how can we divert our attention into this awareness and just be fully here when we have all of these things happening out there in our world? So I'm wondering what you might say about that and bring this into the perspective of our ability because we have the ability to transform and transmute when we're in this place of essential nature. So help us understand that more with a big picture of what's going on in our world, John. Yes, of course. Um, Well, I think that it gives people, this perspective gives people an ability to deal with overwhelming circumstances, especially with what's going on in the world right now. makes a huge difference. Um, In fact, it gives one a clarity to 
clear one's own reactivity or fears or concerns and so forth, and actually be a much clearer agent for any action that one may want to engage in or uh, in clarity and understanding a bigger perspective um, rather than a hiding or a shutting down or a numbing out or an acting out. It's really a place of great clarity. So one is much more able to, you know, release any reactivity or any pain around it, be able to do that through uh, even, you know, expressing one's feelings or allowing all of that to move, but, but, but also not being uh, oblivious or sh cut off from uh, the so-called world. Well, I think it, it can include both. I mean, it, there are times when our lives or our circumstances are so overwhelming that we need to really focus in. And I think sometimes it's very healthy for people to take, uh, you know, to fast from like the news, for instance, if it's really depressing or overwhelming. And then coming back and being able to listen or be a part of that process in a way that doesn't make one ill, but rather empowers one to really be a part of change that may be needed to happening, may need to happen. I don't know if I'm mm -hmm. saying that clearly, but. <laughs> yeah, I would love for you to say more about the, the being versus the doing, because oftentimes, and, and I, I work with a lot of visionary leaders that are on every continent right now, and sometimes we get so into the need to do mm -hmm. that we don't do the doing from a place of being. And, exactly. you know, we can be on calls and we can talk about, no, this is our internal work and this is, you know, let's let's come into this place of of pure essence and our 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 true nature here. Let's be in this place and then let's come from that doing. And people are like, no, we don't have time. So I'm right. curious how you might explain that or teach that to your students is how do we move in our doing from our beingness? <laughs> That's really a beautiful question. And it's really, I think that is really the question to ask and not just to, and not to try to find the answer to that, but actually to live with that question and keep discovering each moment, how that's true and how, and what's appropriate rather than a particular way. But really, I think that question itself is the, is, is a guiding, uh, there's a guiding clarity in that question. So to sit with that question, how do I take action? How do I do in the world from being, I mean, that is the question. And I think as it, it naturally happens, it isn't something that has to be uh, thought about. So if you're still very caught in doing, then just do it. Then go out there and do it. Don't worry about it. As you cultivate more inner peace and clarity and openness, it's going to be there. It will naturally cross-contextualize through your whole life. You don't have to orchestrate it. Do you know what I'm saying? So yeah. I see this with people who have very stressful jobs or out in the world doing different kinds of uh, work. Um, and eventually this presence that we're talking about naturally integrates into whatever they're doing. It just naturally is. And often how they work, how they interact, how they uh, are in the world just smooths out, becomes much more fluid and easier and, 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 and uh, less stressful, actually, and more effective. 
Mm. And also well, more, also more intuitive. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's what I'm hearing you really talk about here, John, is that letting go and allowing of this presencing to grow, to expand, to, exactly. yeah. Instead of being in our mind, trying to figure it out, like right. having that's, it be a goal. Why, yeah. <laughs> I, I got to get there. That's why yeah. I say it's so important to have patience and permission to be human, to still be re- and people often think, oh, well, if I'm in the presence and I can't be human anymore, I can't be reactive. I can't have these negative, fe- you know, I can't be reactive or whatever. Of course you can. <laughs> I mean, that's Explain not a problem. Explain that. Really help. You know, you do a good job. One of the chapters, I don't remember which one, but I yeah. had a, I had a, um, an observation on social media one time, a spiritual teacher just recently was really calling out the new age movement and psychotherapy and, and the discrepancies of that. And, and this feeling response, you do a really good job. And I, I'm sorry, I don't remember which chapter, but you talked about the um, being in the awareness of the reactivity, being in the awareness and the witnessing of the strong emotion, the anger or whatever, explain our emotions, would you? Yes, of course. I, th- I think emotions, the way I, fundamentally, I mean, you can approach emotions many, many ways, of course. The way I work with emotion is really as the natural weather system of the body. And so it's just like a river that needs to move and or rain that needs to fall. It's just a natural flow that happens. And so a lot of us, because we're enculturated, have been conditioned, we have learned to repress and hold back feeling and give it often negative connotations about who we are or how it will be perceived in such a way that we become very, very limited in that way. So we've often, we actually have to relearn how to allow the natural flow of emotion without getting caught in our beliefs about it, without getting caught in our the meaning we, we attach to it, so it can just release. And as we become more, and, and what happens in that, which I call that the transmutational or, or, the, or the human work, that as that really is allowed fully, it naturally deepens this presence we're talking about. That's the sort of what I call almost like a kind of figure eight or a kind of infinity symbol of how transmutation moves into transcendence and back. So as we create more space, as we create more presence, naturally there's more possibility for healing in our emotional realm to take place. Uh, I don't know if that's clear um, or helpful, but did I answer your question? Yeah, and thank you. You you went back to that transmutation piece. I want to I want to bring back something you said very early here in our conversation, because I think this is another helpful teaching tool for the transmutation piece, is that when you were having these experiences very young at 16, you invited some friends to sit with you and they could feel this energy. And it's, Mm -hmm. you know, we've talked about this presence and this, you know, this creative force becomes expansive And Mm -hmm. it kind of comes to the foreground and it creates the conditions for this peacefulness to exist. It creates Mm -hmm. the condition for our happiness to just Mm -hmm. be this place of peace or or whatever. So with this practice, transmutation can happen quite organically and naturally as this 
presence expands in our mm-hmm. life. It's kind of yeah. like, yeah. Will you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, this is this is very important to understand because, as, as, and this is why belief can really get in the way with this, is that it, it, often we have negative beliefs about, for instance, if we're opening more in this presence, that when, because there's more space, because we're more open, we're more, in a sense, physically, organically vulnerable, that which has been held back or held in often can bubble up. And that often scares people or they think, oh my goodness, I'm backsliding. This is, I thought I worked through all of that in that workshop I went to, you know, that anger about my father or whatever. And that, and that actually though, it often the arising of these old conditions, even traumatic conditions can actually rather be a catalyst for transformation. That's actually how transformation works. So instead of negatively uh, creating a belief about it, like this is bad, it actually is seen as oh, this is a good sign that my heart's breaking again. This actually means that I'm opening more. Mm. It's really very cool how this works. And it takes a lot of experience to begin to trust the process. A lot of what I do in my work and teaching and retreats and privately is really helping people begin to trust the process. Yeah, and it's easier to trust the process and the creative source, this creative force, than it is our own minds or or others in this process, it's really important to just really surrender and open to the experience. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. I want to just really bring this last quote in. Um, I've highlighted several quotes and really there's beautiful one-line sentences scattered everywhere that are just like beautiful memes that, and, and affirmations for people. Like it's this, this is beautiful. But I want to read this last thing um, because I think it's it kind of brings us full circle here again and brings our conversation right back to this unbelievable part of the unbelievable happiness of what is because we really haven't talked about what is. And coming into this place of just pure acceptance of this moment. So you're right. Every moment is the beginning of this journey and there is no end. There's no destination, no finish line, no end point to get to. There's only here, only now, only this closeness, the intimacy of this moment, this deep connection with the movement of being So relax into this moment. Drop the future. Drop the past. Feel yourself falling into openness right now and give that your attention. Open to that openness and gradually you'll find that it's here for you all the time without effort, without thought. Balanced and open limitless. Now, I don't often read a large quote like that, but how beautiful and inspiring are those words. So, John, we have about four minutes left, and I would love to know if there's anything about this right here, right now, this moment, anything left unsaid (laughs) that you really want to share with our listeners. Mm. Well, yes. I think I think what's really important, Julian, and I just want to thank you, by the way, it's just been such a lovely pleasure being with you. I, I think that 
I really encourage people to try to keep it simple, to not get too caught in their ideas about it or their, what they've heard about it, and begin to really just come back to what's happening right now for them. Because otherwise it can be this sort of like, well, I don't feel this presence and I don't know what you're talking about, or I'd like to yeah. feel it, or I've had an access to it and I don't know how to get back to it. And I think that there's a certain, uh, that's why I often emphasize in the book, just a kind of forgiveness and patience and compassion for your human experience. And this, you know, when you ask, what is this, what is, well, obviously the what is, is this unknowable is this indescribable, this presence that we keep referring to, that it's really your birthright to realize it and live from that place. And that when you have, when you fully realize it, then you can live fully. Then you can find out the true meaning of this life and why, why, why we're here. It's not an intellectual answer why we're here because nobody really knows. But it's really a deep sense of meaning that is the richness of life itself. And that really is possible through this awakening of presence and cultivating it to the point where it is deeply realized. So mm. I, I think that's, I hope that responds to what you're asking. Yeah, thank you. It reminds me that the gate, the portal to this infinite is in the present moment and yes. it's not in our thoughts or our minds. It's, That's right. That's yeah. why it's beyond belief. Exactly. And yeah. that trust ultimately is not psychological or emotional. It's really, it's really a description of that presence that when we're in that presence, we are at peace naturally. And when you really taste the truth of that, no one has to tell you, you just profoundly know in the marrow of your bones, this is it. Mm. I love that. You profoundly know in the marrow of your bones. What beautiful words. Well, John, thank you. This has been really delightful for me as well. And I really appreciate you being here with us to talk more about this process, this journey, this enlightenment, and, and really sharing your beautiful words with the world in this book, The Unbelievable Happiness of What Is. Thank you well, so much. Well, thank you, Julie. It's been a, really a pleasure to meet you and be with you. And I really, I really enjoyed our time together. Thank you oh, so much. Thank you. And Likewise, it's been it's been a joy. And I just want to thank the listeners who have been joining us here today as well. You've been listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. And thank you, thank you for tuning in with us. Remember, together we're creating connections for the good of the whole. And so until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. 